And so I'd like to um, offer some instructions for today. And as we know, we've been <coughs> practicing with the first three foundations of mindfulness, the body, feeling tones in the mind, and drawing from some of the teachings found in the fourth foundation of mindfulness, such as the hindrances, factors of awakening, the noble truths, the investigation of self, or the selfless nature of things. These are all drawn from this fourth foundation of mindfulness. <clears throat> and today's practice is more of a fluid practice, bringing together these first three foundations in a more fluid and open way. And in MBSR and other mindfulness-based approaches, I think you're familiar with the practice called choiceless awareness. You could also say open awareness or present moment awareness. In this particular practice, it employs these first three foundations. What but in a more spontaneous way. So whatever is arising that's prominent and distinct at any given moment, that can be the object. And we introduce this practice later in the retreat because it involves first a gathering or collecting or steadying of the mind. Because it takes a certain amount of concentration to just stay in the present moment and to be aware of whatever's here as it comes and goes. And so today is the practice of open awareness. It's as if we're sitting in the midst of the life stream and just being aware of whatever is prominent and distinct at any given moment. This begins to reveal the dynamic nature of the body and mind, even though it seems that we're just sitting here doing nothing. Inside the body and mind, there's lots going on. The senses that are wired to its stimuli, the mind, of course, interacting with the senses and of itself, going off into the future, the past, to fantasy, to dreams, to memories, to regrets, joys, sorrows, so forth. So in this practice, sitting in the now, and just experiencing whatever's arising that's prominent and distinct, if you try to take in too much at any one point, it will become a sensory overload. So just try to go with what's prominent. A sound beckons attention to being with hearing. The bodily sensation arises from the, and comes into the foreground of attention than being with the bodily sensation. Gradually, of course, it will recede and might be replaced by a sound or perhaps a flurry of different thoughts or emotions. So just sitting in the now and experiencing this dynamic nature of change. If at any point it seems like you're getting lost, confused, not sure where to bring attention to, that's always a signal to come back to that one anchoring object that you've been working with throughout the retreat, be it the sounds, the sensations, or the breath. And letting awareness rest at that place until it seems like you're fairly steady again, and then you're welcome to open up awareness.
Venerable Achan Shah, <coughs> Thai forest meditation teacher, says, grasping at nothing and resisting nothing. Then he offers us a little playful challenge. He says, do you dare? <laughs> grasping at nothing and resisting nothing. Do you dare? Just letting experience unfold one moment into the next, grasping at nothing and resisting nothing. He also adds a very poetic <coughs> teaching where he says, uh, learning to keep your mind still in any surrounding like a clear forest pool. And all kinds of wonderful and strange and mysterious animals will come and go, but you will be still. And in time, you will come to understand the nature of all things. And this is the happiness and the peace of one who has awakened. Learning to keep our mind still in any surrounding like a clear forest pool is our willingness to be with things as they are. And all kinds of wonderful and strange and mysterious animals will come and go these are the fabrications, the constructions of one's own mind. But you will be still. And in time you will come to understand the nature of all things by our willingness to be still amongst all of these different fabrications, beginning to develop deeper understanding, seeing through the stories that have enslaved us, this is when he says, you will know then the happiness and the peace of one who has awakened. Through this understanding, becoming more free. Grasping at nothing and resisting nothing. <clears throat> Just like the sky is made of air. The great teacher of the sky. It shows us that no matter what type of storm enters into the sky, whether it's a category one or up to a category five, the sky being made of air offers no resistance. Just gives space for the storm to do whatever it needs to do. And because of the virtue of that space, in time, that storm begins to dissipate from a category five to a four to a three to one and so forth. So this practice of open awareness, giving space to whatever weather systems entering within the body and mind, grasping at nothing and resisting nothing. Letting be. Allow. Sometimes it can be akin to, um, I said this a number of times, <clears throat> at Christmas time we get out these frosty, the, the snow non-binary creatures in the little snow cones. Frosty just sitting there, you know? Shake Frosty up and all the stuff is going But Frosty sitting, grasping at nothing, and resisting nothing. And gradually all that stuff begins to settle, begins to get clear. 
So in the same way, sitting like Frosty, this non-binary, all-gender being, Grasping at nothing and resisting nothing. Letting the weather systems do what they do. In time, things become clear as we learn to sit with ourselves in our skin, underneath the skin in the muscle. Within and interwoven within the muscle is the sinews, the connective tissue that's surrounding the bone and the marrow, sitting with it all inside our being and bones, grasping at nothing and resisting nothing. So we're just entering into this silence. And again, if you're <clears throat> feeling confused or lost, come back to that anchor that you've been training with. Just opening up to whatever's prominent and distinct. There's always the point of our body sitting on the chair, the points of contact, if there's not a place to bring attention to, but quite natural, things will come up. Things in the room, outside of the room, in the body, the mind. Being present.
So as we sit in the silence, so much is changing. The senses, the mind, grasping at nothing, resisting nothing, just allowing whatever is present as it comes and goes, beginning to penetrate that mark of change. No matter where we bring attention to, beginnings and endings being present. So we can have some time for um, any comments or questions from practice, any of the talks. Um, and then we'll have a few announcements and continue on with the practice discussions. So can I just open it up? Anything? I'm not sure that I'm how to frame my words to your question, but it's kind of something uh, in my mind I'm curious about. Um, the whole foundation of mindfulness when it comes to mindfulness is helpful emotions. When you say mindfulness is mindful. Um, when it comes to emotions, I suppose that was what is emotion, you know, it's kind of 
feeling tone, but but in my own experience, of course, my body is reacting all the time to emotion. So I'm trying to focus, like, kind of working with the being with emotion. The, the sensations in the body then also are included in the third foundation because the emotions are there. Or, do you know what I'm asking? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's something about... Um, Within this third foundation of mindfulness, there's the practices of being mindful of thoughts and emotions. And, um, you know, and, and particularly with the emotions, maybe a little bit similar to the feeling tones. And then what about the body? Because the body. And so, um, you know, first, just to say that in this week, we're kind of like shining the flashlight on each of these fields of the body, the feeling tones, the mind states. And I've also to say that they are very interconnected and interrelated. And so on one hand, it's hard to differentiate between the two because they are so interrelated and interconnected, but yet we're kind of shining a light on each one to help to see it more clearly. So of course, at times, as we're feeling emotions, there may be physical sensations. Just like when we, like we use the body scan, MBSR, it's actually uh, drawing from the first three foundations as we become aware of the physical, becoming aware of the body, and then it may evoke different thoughts and emotions. So it's all interconnected and interrelated. And at the same time, yes, this week, shining the flashlight on each of these to see them more clearly with the understanding they are interconnected and interrelated. What draws the distinction between the second foundation of mindfulness and the third is that in the second foundation, and actually the Pali word is Vedana, and that means to feel and to know. And so there is a, a mental element and there's a physical element within that. But what the Vedanas are pointing to is the immediacy of a particular feeling that's pleasant, unpleasant, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And it, it's not complex in that it intertwines with our history that has the story. It's the raw experience. Like I love that example of my niece put some, <coughs> when she's first eating, putting some mashed <coughs> peas in her mouth, bleh, put some nice berries, mmm. So there's kind of an immediacy. And she didn't yet even have a history of eating peas or eating berries when she first got those spoonfuls. It was the immediacy of the gut reaction of experience. So you could say that the second foundation is looking more at that immediacy. And of course, unseen, it does at times as we, of course, live and experience our life, it begin to intermesh with our history and much more complexity. Like, oh, I don't like, I don't like beans, I mash peas, and you know, because it becomes to have a story. So it is interconnected. In the realm of mind states, which means thoughts and emotions, there's a few approaches that we can work with it. And of course, in these teachings of the foundations of mindfulness, it's pointing for the practitioner to really begin to penetrate impermanence. Again, that common refrain found within each of the foundations of the origination and the dissolution of that particular phenomena. Everything is changing. So 
on one hand, we're experiencing that with the breath coming in, going out, or listening to sounds, or feeling sensations, or potentially other senses. Second foundation, beginning to also experience how these different feeling tones are coming and going. And the third, bringing awareness to even the mind states. There's so many of them. I like the Irish weather is a wonderful teacher because it's showing us, you know, it's here one moment and the next moment something else. And so on one hand, it's beginning to penetrate that mark of impermanence as well. And so that's one aspect of doing this practice. And we also want to recognize there are certain times as we're sitting that we may be gripped with the complexity of our history and a strong emotion arises. For example, I gave the other night of being angry at this hospital administration, administrator. And so there's times we may want to discern, rather than just calling, yes, I know on one hand it's a mind state that comes and goes, but I'm also curious to understand what is it about this that creates a category five internal anger storm. <laughs> and, and sometimes as much as I may tell myself, well, it's just mind states that come and go, Depending on how I use that, it could actually be a psychological bypass so that I don't have to feel the feeling and yet I keep on getting activated and so it's not going to go anywhere. The wisdom is not going to see through it. Sometimes the wisdom is to sense and to feel into the complexity of our story and our identity and what is activating and triggering and be able to begin to see and understand more clearly where I get caught. And perhaps with that understanding that sets us more free. So there's times where it's very wise, oh, I see you, mind state, been there, got the coffee mug, the t-shirt, done the dance, no thank you, I will not engage with you. At other times it might conversely be, oh, this has got me by the juggler and I need to bring attention to it. And so part of our practice is discerning. So I've said this before, but I think it takes a while for us to really begin to understand this and trusting our own practice. When is it that I move into something? When is it that I just sit back, it's just, just passing phenomena and distinguishing between the two. So sometimes as I move into the emotions, the body, the body is there. But I, I find sometimes MBRSR particularly will we'll start to begin to ask the person, well, what, what's the sensations in your body? What are your thoughts and emotions like? I don't know about all that stuff. How are you feeling? <laughs> and it might be in the body, who knows? But, but, but it's like, like what? Like I'm being activated and triggered. What's inside there that's that's causing this deep upsetment of this story and this belief and this identity to begin to understand it. It may involve the body, but that's not necessarily the formulaic pattern. Tell me what your sensations are, thoughts and emotions. But that's the field that we dive into. It's not a formulaic inquiry. But what's there? What's this quality of anger that's just feeling upset and sad and angry. Does that speak somewhat to what you're asking? <laughs> it's very like completely all of this relationship. Yeah. And it's really kind of bouncing from one and the other depending on what's happening with the dominant and that station. Yeah, so it's not like getting close. It may be direct words. And so our awareness is helping to discriminate when we move in and when we pass off. And so it, it's not a one-size-fits-all because each situation deems a certain type of investigation and holding and knowing. 
And sometimes we, we learn only by going in one direction, realizing we should have went in another. But even that's valuable, because even going in that other direction, that's information, that's knowledge. Is that, you know? Excuse me? That's why I love this poetic saying of the Buddha that within this fathom-long body with its thoughts and emotions lies our world. Its origin, its cessation, and the pathway to freedom is found within this fathom-long body. So this is what we're bringing attention to. So thank you. So there's a hand... Oh, it was answered. I don't know what I said. <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky edge. I, I'm trying to help understand like this wise discernment. When do I begin to go into something? When is it wise? Oh, here it is again. It comes, it goes. And so this discernment. But to me, understanding the places where we get caught are very beneficial to our health and our well-being. Otherwise, we will continue to get caught. And so if we can understand you know, all the tentacles of that and the identification and, and be able to begin to see it more clearly and understand it, that's the key to more freedom and understanding. And that's what sets us more free. Please. I'm just, I, it could be about the talk last night. Yeah. Can I ask? Absolutely. Yeah. <coughs> it might sound a bit intellectual, but it really isn't. I was just wondering how do you actually apply if asked by anyone from participants of the course? How would you apply uh, saying like nowhere to go and no one to be calm if someone says that it does not have to be purely narcissistic, especially <coughs> I'm sorry, I, I missed the last part. <laughs> no one to no one no one to be calm. That is it always narcissistic? It, that it isn't always narcissistic? Yeah, that's probably true. But I, I think what, that where, when I'm using that, to me what that means, as far as knowing that I have to be, that there's so many different roles that I play in my life as a father, as a husband, as a son, as a teacher, as a male, as a, all the different, that, that in this time of practice, I don't have to be any one of those things. So that, that's the intention behind that offering. Nowhere to go, nothing to do. There's no role that I have to be. It's not saying that the role is good or bad. It's just that I don't have to assume that responsibility right now. I can just be with me. So that, that's my intention behind. Just, I don't know if that changes the scope of your question because it, it, it didn't have to do with narcissism, egocentricity, but more of just like, Ah, I can become free of these roles for a little bit and just be with the B.O.B. show, the Bob show, <laughs> ad nauseum. 
<laughs> okay? Yeah. Many people find, oh, wow, I, I don't have to be anyone right now. So lovely. <laughs> don't worry, tomorrow you'll be someone. <laughs> Mommy, Daddy! <laughs> and I'll speak tomorrow <coughs> about... about ways to integrate this practice into our life. We might have time for one more. Anything else? Okay, I have one. Uh, I would like to ask a question or uh, something that yesterday was coming up also during the talk on talking about the cravings. And I was kind of uh, reflecting that there is some, or at least I've noticed that might be craving also in the practice of meditation, in wanting to be a certain kind of person, or even worse, in not wanting to be a certain kind of person. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of very subtle, because mm -hmm. it becomes very challenging then to, uh, let's say, distinguish between an intention and an, an expectation. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm making sense, mm -hmm. <laughs> because I haven't cleared very much. I mean, it's not that clear to me, but... Uh, it was something that it's really on the craving or not wanting to be a certain kind of person, but then that's a craving too. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so I was noticing sometimes when I'm caught in uh, certain thinking, I'm like, oh, oh, you are there again. You are not that kind of person, so make sure. And that's a craving. Yeah. So from what I'm understanding, just to repeat the questions so others can hear, and, um, speaking about craving and finding that also in the meditation that there's a craving to be a, a type of a person in a certain way or conversely not being a person in another way. And, um, and, and somehow they're getting intermeshed with, like, with craving and some sense of what, what do I do with this? <laughs> Is that, would that be, yeah, yeah. I think to me what's, what's more important and rather than getting caught with this craving But, but I, I think that they're both interrelated. What is it about that part of you that wants to be different? And what's 
that part of you that doesn't want it to be what it is. Is that right? Yeah. And so maybe we can just leave craving aside. Because it, it's a, it, to me, it's like a beautiful way of just being really honest and seeing the parts of myself that I don't like. And, and seeing parts that I, that I would like. And, it, you know, to me, I think the, the inquiry is like, what are these parts that are inside me that, that I'm not accepting or that I'm ashamed of? And, and to begin to investigate that. So to me, it's much more about that it's, this is triggering or activating some, to me, like in the importance of some investigation into my pain and perhaps into my aspiration and wanting to be a, a kinder or a, a different type of person. And so I think, again, going into that pain may begin to reveal more about what's inside us the stories that I tell myself and believe, and to, to get some more understanding. So I think sometimes the word craving, just like sometimes, you know, like there's, there is a wise effort, there's a wise intention, there's a wise aspiration. I want to be more free, I want to be more happy, I want to have less suffering, I want to be kinder, I don't want to be angry. And so I think this deeper investigation into that is warranted to understand it. And I think that understanding will ultimately lead us towards perhaps being the person that we want to be. As we become freer through our understanding of those parts inside ourselves that we are ashamed of or don't like and don't want. What do you think? <laughs> she replied, in, I'm, in the cook, I'm in the cooking. We're in the cook pot. And you know, Rumi, that, that chickpea's trying to come out, and you get that ladle and slam it back in. It needs to be cooked more. <laughs> We're getting the good cook. But you know, what else is there to do? This is like the most noblest thing in the world to this work on ourselves. Is, is, there's nothing more noble in the world than this. Let there be peace on earth, let it begin with me. This is the most profound, radical, political, spiritual action that any of us could take on, is making peace with ourselves. And that profound impact begins to have rub off with those that are around us and further. It's interesting when you think about the saints of the past, you know, we're still talking about them. Because they went on that journey to find peace and perhaps did so, and even 2,000, 2,600, 3,000 years later, we're still talking about that because it was something so profound. They even build institutions about this to talk about this. Here, we're sitting in one. What did Jesus experience? What did the Buddha experience? What did any of the wise ones experience? And we too can become wiser, taking the higher road, purifying our heart and minds. 
This can still happen. So let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.